0: Kia ora and welcome to the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast, thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host Jordan and I'm a mum of two boys, a passionate storyteller and a lover of all things birth. This podcast is a platform for Kiwi families to share their experiences with pregnancy, birth and postpartum shining light on topics that we need to talk about openly but for some reason are hidden away due to societal pressures. It's my goal to allow this platform to connect others, help you feel like you're not alone and bring experiences of all varieties for you to enjoy. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth and the stories on this podcast are personal to each individual not intended for medical advice. I hope you love the episodes that come your way each week. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you enjoy. This week's episode is proudly brought to you by my online hypnobirthing course called Your Birth Project and I think that this is a perfect episode for me to sponsor this week through the course because the course was absolutely something that has played a huge part in me having my vaginal birth after my previous cesarean birth and it is um yeah I think just an awesome tool to help you prepare for any type of birth experience it's completely online you can access the content anytime you can repeat um, any sections that you like It's um, got a full section on birth, including a really beautiful birth video, and it's also got some information for pre and postpartum as well as some meditations in there and just lots of different comfort methods and tools that you can use throughout your labor and birth. Um, There are so many testimonials on the website and on the At Your Birth Project Instagram page that you can go and have a look at, but um, I think that my story will be um, a testimonial in itself. So I think a great episode for Your Birth Project to sponsor. If you want to go and check it out, www.yourbirthproject.com or at yourbirthproject on Instagram. All right, let's jump into it. In this episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, you are hearing from me, Jordan, your host, about my birth story with Ali. So I hope that you enjoy. All right, welcome to my second birth story. Um, If you follow along on social media, then you'll know that Little Ali joined us on the 20th of September and this is our pregnancy and birth story so far. He's, yeah, two weeks old so we're still pretty fresh into it but i um, really excited to talk through our story today. I'll try and follow the format um, that I usually would with guests and sort of how I ask those questions just Um, to try and keep it like a podcast would usually be but um, I've got a whole heap of notes here trying not to miss anything so yeah I hope you um, enjoy listening to our story and if you haven't heard my birth story with Jai then it is episode 61 if you wanted to pop back and have a listen to that one too because although there are some similarities um, also a lot of differences so yeah Alright, um, so if you don't know me or my little family, then my name's Jordan and I'm obviously the host of this podcast. Um, my partner's name is Joe, and we live in the beautiful sunny Papamoa and we have two sons, um, Jai who will be two in December and Ali who is two weeks old um, this week, <laughs> so fresh little bub. Yeah. Um, So in terms of falling pregnant, um, Jai had just turned one in December, and we'd sort of talked about having another baby, but we didn't know when exactly we wanted to do that. Um, I had had some conversations with my mum about the fact that it took her a while to conceive my brother after me, and we thought, oh, maybe after Jai turns one, we might start trying, but we definitely weren't... um, weren't trying at the time that we fell pregnant so I guess um early symptoms that I had it was Joe's 30th and um we were having like a little party drinks thing for him and I had really bad heartburn from like, I thought it was from the drinks but That should have been um, a really telltale sign for me. I think um, I said to someone that because my period was also late. I was in a little bit of denial, I think. (laughs) And I said to a few people that day, oh, my God, imagine if I'm pregnant. Um, We all sort of laughed and joked about it. And then uh, a few days later, my period still hadn't come. And I was like, "Okay, my cycle might be a little bit out, but I don't think it's quite this out. Um, So I went and bought a test and Joe wasn't actually home. And he wouldn't have been home until later that day. So I thought, okay, I'll take the test. And then um, just surely I'm not pregnant. And sure enough, I was <laughs> very pregnant. Um, it was like a line straight away. So I think, um, yeah, I, I, it's not that I didn't want to be pregnant. It was just that um, we weren't trying to fall pregnant. And although we weren't using any contraception, um, what we had been doing had worked for a year, so I guess didn't think there'd be any reason for it not to work this time. But um yeah, so I found out that I was pregnant, I was like, holy shit, <laughs> just can't like can't quite believe it. I can't imagine having two children. It was just like all these emotions that um run through your head when you see those positive lines pop up on a pregnancy test. I think particularly the second time <laughs> around. Um But I thought I would do something fun to tell Joe. Um, So later on he got home. And when we were going to bed I thought, okay, I'll put the pregnancy test under the duvet cover. And I set up my phone to video um, him sort of finding it. And he didn't notice the phone when he came in. But unfortunately he had been in the shower. So he came in butt naked. (laughs) Walked into the room got into bed, found the test, looked at it, thought it said negative, then realised it said positive, and was like, holy shit, and it was like this huge um, moment for us, but unfortunately can't share it anywhere because, yeah, butt naked, so that was quite funny. Um, We told our family and close friends pretty much straight away, within a couple of days, we're just the most useless secret keepers. And I guess on that as well, like, if anything was to happen in our pregnancy and we'd told our family and close friends we would want to be supported by them, um, and would feel comfortable, I guess, talking through a pregnancy loss if that was to be a situation that we were in. So, yeah, I think we feel pretty comfortable with telling our family. And also, like, I could probably keep a secret from most people for, I don't know, a good couple of weeks, but Joseph just, no way. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so I had been tracking my cycles on and off, like, pretty inconsistently, and and they were um, sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes a little bit shorter, but they were relatively regular. Um, But yeah, so I thought I was, like, pretty confident in what my dates would be. I contacted my midwife, who ended up being at Jai's birth, um and let her know that I was pregnant, and that I'd really like to have her as my midwife, and she took me on, um, based on my dates, which was initially early September, and she had a planned leave for September, so she was like, okay, early September you should be fine, um, and if not, then, um, the backup midwife, who was my lead midwife last time, would be at my birth, so it was a little bit of, um, not messy, but just, yeah, a little bit of pre-planning there, and we were comfortable with that, so that was fine. I guess from how I was feeling um, in that first trimester and in those early weeks, like, finding out that I was pregnant, I think I was in such a bad place with, like, my body image and how my body looked, Um, and then falling pregnant, I was like, oh my gosh, Uh, it's, yeah, I thought, like, how much weight am I going to put on, like, how am I going to look during and after this pregnancy, like, I just felt, um, it's a shame that that is the way that I, like, thought then, but, um, yeah, I just felt like I wasn't in a good place physically to be having a baby, which was a real shame, um, sort of put a shadow over those initial few weeks of being pregnant, um, And, like, I just wish I could go back and tell myself now, like, just celebrate your pregnancy and stop, um, thinking about that. But anyway, um, so we went for a dating scan and we didn't actually see a heartbeat at that stage. So there was a gestational sac indicating that I would have been around five to five and a half weeks. So slightly out of the dates that I thought we would be um and we had to go back two weeks later so definitely that was um gave me a bit of anxiety wondering if things were actually okay or if our dates were just right and we weren't actually pregnant um so I went to the GP and did an HCG test um so the blood um blood test and they came back sort of within range of what you'd expect to be at around six weeks. So the doctor said, let's repeat them in a week. And we did. And they had increased, which was a good sign. And then we went back for um, the next sort of dating scan or the real dating scan two weeks after that one, um, saw a little heartbeat and then got given a new um, a new due date based on that. So that was all good and sort of took away that initial anxiety That I had, in terms of first trimester symptoms, um, I was pretty nauseous, like (laughs) that dreadful hungover but haven't been drinking feeling all afternoon. So um, that was quite different for me with Jai because it was from first thing in the morning with Jai. But in Ali's pregnancy, um, probably started at like 1 or 2pm and just lasted for the whole afternoon and evening. So it felt pretty rubbish for probably from 7 or 8 weeks through to 12 weeks, so it doesn't last super long for me, which I've been really lucky with, but definitely um, feels like a long time when you're in it. Um, and I also had pregnancy thrush, so that started in my first trimester, which is just the most horrific um, pregnancy symptom that I have ever experienced, <laughs> and... Um, they give or my GP prescribed me different creams and whatever but um none of them really worked so I had that on and off actually throughout my whole pregnancy it was just horrible um and it would go away and I'd think yay and then it would come back again um and they sort of say it's mainly usually hormonal and there's not actually a whole lot that you can do about it but I was trying to be conscious of not eating too much sugar because they say that that can make it worse and yeah, nothing was really helping me but um, that was definitely the worst pregnancy symptom that I had I had a few like random bouts of being sick, like I'd wake up in the middle of the night and need to spew, Um, and I think that was heartburn related probably, so I had bad heartburn again like I did in Jai's pregnancy, Um, sort of on and off actually throughout, probably bad in the first trimester, died off a bit in the second and then came back in the third, Um, and those were my main pregnancy symptoms so initially I was just using Gaviscon like <laughs> 24-7 uh, for the heartburn and then in the third trimester my GP prescribed me a um which was helpful too so definitely needed like that extra help with the heartburn um, and I think the other thing like I was just exhausted particularly in that first trimester and Jai was only just one he's still waking up Um, or he had started waking up again in the nights and he was hard to get down in the evenings and um, I just think yeah it's exhausting like being a parent of a one-year-old anyway throwing a pregnancy in there um, is also really tough and I was working full-time so I was definitely feeling like pretty at the end of my um, energy levels particularly in that first trimester but um, obviously Joe's super supportive and helpful and um, we shared the load through the night times but yeah just um, remember feeling so tired in that first trimester. We chose to do the nipped, so the non-invasive prenatal testing I think it is um, blood test at 10 weeks and that gives you an indication of any chromosomal abnormalities as well as the sex of your baby so we were pretty keen um, to know more information about all of that joe and i've had the discussions about what we would do um if a situation came up that there was a chromosomal abnormality and what would that mean for us so i think it's important to have had those conversations before you agree to do um any of that type of testing it just means that you're less um in the dark or surprised, I guess, at what your partner's response might be if you haven't had those conversations and then end up needing to have them. So, um, yeah, we'd done that. And then I, I felt like I just knew, um, this baby was a boy. (laughs) I, um, felt like my pregnancy was like really similar to Jai's so far. And I just was pretty confident that it was a boy. Um, and my midwife called us when she got the test results back and she asked if we wanted to know over the phone and we're like oh my gosh yes we can't wait (laughs) so she told us that we're having a little boy and that was really exciting I think it's nice um, we could sort of like imagine at that time the fact that we're going to have two boys like just under two years apart in age and what that would be like for them growing up and yeah just really nice um, to sort of make a connection I guess. who this little baby inside of me was so that was cool. Um, In terms of other testing that we did I went straight to the two-hour gestational diabetes test um, and that wasn't until my third trimester but I skipped the one-hour one just because Jai was a big baby. I didn't have gestational diabetes with him but um, my midwife knew that the hospital when I was referred to the obstetrician for an appointment there that they would want me to have done a two hour test. So I did that and that was totally fine. Came back all normal. Did the 12 week scan, um, and the 20 week anatomy scan and the 12 week one was like pretty normal all fine. And then the 20 week one showed that, um, the baby was on the larger side, which we expected because Jai was a big baby and Joe is a big person. (laughs) um, Yeah, so that was all fine. Like, never sort of worried about the size um, predictions of him, but did mean that we had more growth scans in the third trimester. Nothing really much else of note happened in the second trimester. Um, And then I was referred to the obstetrician team at the hospital. Um, The reason for that is because I'd had a previous C-section and this baby was measuring large again. So they just automatically refer you when you've had that. Um, so I went up to the hospital, Joe came with me and we met, I was like quite apprehensive, I guess, about that appointment just because, um, and Jai's pregnancy, when I went there, I was referred for LGA. So large, um, carrying a large baby. And they basically told me, um, you'll be fine. You can birth your baby. And, Not that I didn't agree with that, but they just didn't like she was the person I met with wasn't open to talking through any um options or any of my concerns. She just sort of like basically blew me off and told me that um I didn't know what I was talking about, which was frustrating and annoying. So I was um yeah, a little bit apprehensive going into this appointment, but I also felt really well prepared with questions that I wanted to ask and um the kind of birth that I wanted to have and yeah, I was pretty confident. Um, and I guess that was also down to my birth preparation and the fact that, um, since having Jai, I've created and, um, done the Your Birth Project course like over and over again. So I just felt really confident in my decisions that I'd made in my pregnancy so far. And, um, it did take me quite a while to decide that I wanted to try for a VBAC, so vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, and yeah, I guess that I sort of, I went through all options, including an elective cesarean, and absolutely was 50-50 for, like, the majority of my first and second trimesters. Um, I didn't feel pressured into making a decision either way, but by my third trimester, um, I guess I'd worked through mentally what my approach was and what my hopes for my birth were, and made the decision that I did want to try for a VBAC. So going into that obstetrician appointment um, in my third trimester... I definitely wanted to talk to them about um, a VBAC, I wanted their support, but equally if I didn't have it, I felt like I was going to do it anyway, or going to at least try. Um, And I knew that my midwife would be really supportive of me doing that too, but the thing I wanted to talk to them the most about was actually booking an induction date, and the reason for that is I went to 41 and 3 with Jai, and then he was born with low blood sugars, he was 10 pound 2 um, if you've listened to our birth story, then you'll already know all of this, but he had blood sugar issues, and it meant that we spent a week in skiboo, um, and I really wanted to avoid that this time around, I think, like, upon reflection in this pregnancy, that was really traumatic, um, for me, and I probably didn't realise it at the time, but definitely, like, looking back on it now, and, and I was looking back on it in my pregnancy, it was quite, um, yeah, was definitely, like, a traumatic kind of, memory and time and um, I've really just wanted to avoid that this time around and I knew that potentially being induced close to my due date um, could help. so there's obviously no guarantees that he wasn't going to be born with blood sugar issues but the interesting thing for me is that they actually don't even bother checking their blood sugars if they're not over or under a certain weight. so I knew that the longer that he stayed inside me, the heavier he was gonna get. Um, and then the more likely we would need a blood sugar reading and then could potentially go downhill from there. So I wanted to talk to them about booking an induction date and that was the part that I was the most apprehensive about because I know that um, they don't like to book inductions for large babies and um, I just thought that I was going to have a bit of a fight on my hands for that one so anyway I went to the obstetrician appointment with Joe. had a really beautiful obstetrician um, consultant and a student in the room and they were just amazing they listened to me they totally took on board what I was saying she like agreed about the blood sugar thing and um of course, explained to me that there was no guarantees that that wouldn't happen. And like, we just worked through all of that and she was really supportive and she just said, you'll need to come back and see another consultant, um, in about four, three or four weeks time and just check how everything's going. She wanted me to do another growth scan before then. Um, and she also wanted me to redo the two hour gestational diabetes test, And um apart from that she was super supportive. She wrote everything in my notes and then I left that appointment feeling pretty good. Um, I spoke with my own midwife about the appointment. I declined doing the two hour gestational diabetes test again, like I just felt like it was not needed. Um, the last one that I did was only about three or four weeks before that and it had been totally normal, so talked with my midwife about the risks and, um, she was supportive of me declining that if that was what I wanted to do, which was awesome. Um, so I didn't do the two hour gestational diabetes test again, but I did do another growth scan when they requested me to, um, again, showing on like the 97th or 98th percentile for growth, um, which was not, um, unusual and had been about that for the whole time in my pregnancy anyway um, and then we went into lockdown, (laughs) so I started my parental leave, um, I had this, like, beautiful, relaxing parental leave planned, I had massages, and osteopath, and acupuncture, and all of these appointments booked, um, and, yeah then we went into lockdown and all of that obviously went out the window but including my second obstetrician appointment so that ended up being on the phone it's totally luck of the draw who you end up getting and I had a lady who I just felt like (laughs) gaslighted me basically um which is really easy to do on the phone right and like I felt less able to advocate for myself um over the phone because you're not face to face and you don't sort of get the opportunity to I don't know build like a rapport or connection or just see the person that you're talking to so I found that really difficult she was like no we're not booking you an induction date unnecessary here's all the risks for a VBAC. have you considered booking an elective date I'd encourage you to book an elective date and I sort of found that really frustrating Like, they're happy to book me for an elective caesarean at 39 weeks, but they're not happy to book me for an induction after my due date. I just, I found that really frustrating, but anyway, um, I wasn't getting anywhere with that appointment, so basically we just hung up, um, agreeing to disagree, (laughs) and I spoke with my midwife about my frustrations, and she just sort of said, leave it with me, and I'll see what I can do. Um... And she ended up, my midwife ended up at the hospital a few weeks later for a birth and bumped into a really, um, awesome obstetrician who's really supportive of VBACs and spoke to her about me and, um, jazz blood sugars and all that sort of stuff. And this obstetrician or consultant was like, yep, I agree. Um, we can book her for an induction at 40 and three. So that would have been when she was working, um, and the plan was for me to go in on the Sunday, the nineteenth, um, and have the balloon catheter inserted as the method of induction, and then see how things go from there. So, I felt really pleased that we had some kind of like plan in place um, in case I hadn't gone into labour before then, and I was just super pleased that um, my midwife was like advocating for me and and sort of understood where I was coming from and. I think that made a really big difference for my mental health. Like she just, yeah, it was really nice to have her support and then go sort of seek out an outcome for me, which was awesome. Um, But I actually thought like my whole pregnancy that I was going to go early. (laughs) Um, I thought my dates were wrong because of our initial due date and the whole scan thing. Like I just, I thought my dates were wrong. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll have this baby early, and that was not the right way to think, because if you've been pregnant before, and you think you're going to have a baby early, and you don't, every day past that date feels like a whole year, <laughs> so um really, yeah, that was a really dumb on my behalf, um, but anyway, so we were in lockdown for that sort of end stage of my pregnancy, um, it was tough like Jai was home from daycare and he's not an indoor kid he does not like to stay at home um and he just gets like bored really easily and everyone was getting on each other's nerves and I'm just like so pregnant and yeah that was definitely like a tough um stage in my pregnancy but we were lucky to go back into level two when I was I think 38 and a half weeks um so I did get like a couple of weeks in there of um, of relaxing, I guess, at the end of my pregnancy. And I managed to squeeze in a couple of acupuncture appointments as well, which um, I would have liked to have done more in the end stage of my pregnancy. But anyway, that was fine. So yeah, tried acupuncture and also started doing some stretch and sweeps with my midwife um, team from there. So I think I was, yeah, 38 and a half maybe 38, when we tried the first stretch and sweep, and my cervix was back and closed, like posterior, couldn't even get a finger in, Um, just no way this baby's coming anytime soon, you know, like all of that kind of um, wording and language, and I knew to expect that, because we were early, Um, we wouldn't usually do a stretch and sweep until after 40 weeks, so um, I wasn't so worried about that, but I was also trying to do everything I could to help my body, prepare so I was eating dates I was um orally taking evening primrose oil and inserting it um in my vagina so I was doing two, one or two initially and then two or three by the end of my pregnancy that was all under the guidance of my midwife um I was having sex <laughs> and expressing eating curries doing all the things to try and help my body so each stretch and sweep got slightly better um, and by the 39th end of the 39th week we did a stretch and sweep on the Wednesday and the midwife the backup midwife was able to do like a really good sweep and it was painful like I found it really uncomfortable I had to use my breathing techniques like really focus on breathing um, and she probably did it for a good minute, she said that that was a really good sweep, and if anything was going to happen from there, like, that's sort of the sweep that I needed, um, I went home, and definitely felt like some changes in my body, I lost a bit of my mucus plug, um, and then nothing sort of really progressed from there, so on the Friday I knew that I could, like, I felt different in my body, so I contacted the backup midwife again, because by now, um, I think my midwife was on leave, or maybe she was going on leave and she wasn't on call at that time, but um, contacted the midwife and said I wanted to do another sweep, Um, and she was up at the hospital, so I went and met her up there, did another one, she said yep you're definitely, like things are happening in your body, that was a really good sweep again, again it was uncomfortable, like I still found it, um, yeah, (laughs) uncomfortable, And went home, um, had a little bit of bleeding, which is normal after a sweep, and then lost some more of my mucus plug and just felt like things were really starting to, like, change in my body. So, went for a walk that afternoon, um, even did some curb walking on that walk and started getting some, like, tightenings, um, Friday afternoon or evening. They were sort of, you know, like, really early labour, um cramps and tightenings but I knew they weren't Braxton Hicks because I'd been having some of those throughout my pregnancy and these definitely felt um different and kind of familiar too like I remembered the sensational feeling um from Jai's labor as soon as I started having these ones and I thought oh my gosh (laughs) I remember this feeling but anyway so yeah the sort of night progressed I went to bed and I got a couple of hours sleep um yeah probably two or three hours of sleep, and then woke up around eleven and was definitely uncomfortable, like could not sleep any longer through the contractions um I went out into the lounge and sort of leant over my birth ball. I should mention also that um Ali was posterior, so um I had been trying all the things to turn him, and nothing had worked, <laughs> so he was definitely still posterior um when my labor started so leaning over the birth ball, and like, had to use my breathing techniques, um, was definitely feeling, like, pretty uncomfortable, my contractions were, um, still irregular at this stage, so they were anywhere from three minutes to 15 minutes apart, lasting 45 seconds to a minute, um, and yeah, they were pretty, like, pretty strong from that point, and I think it was about 1am that, I went into the bedroom and asked Joe to put the TENS machine on my back. So I'd hired a TENS machine for my labor and we'd practiced using it, um, just on my arm so that we knew how to do it. So Joe put that on my back and that was a really nice distraction through those early contractions. Like I was in pain. It was, they were, um, pretty intense, like right from that point. So the TENS machine was a really good distraction, um, And I pretty much just spent the rest of that whole night um, until the early hours of the morning on all fours using my TENS machine, using my breathing techniques and sort of thinking is this going to progress anywhere or is it going to die off um, in the morning because the closer we got to the morning the further apart my contractions got. So by about four o'clock they were like half an hour apart and um, I sort of thought oh... (laughs) The whole night of work um, is just yeah becoming slower this morning. So I went into Jai's room um, and jumped in the bed next to him and fell asleep until he woke up because I knew it wouldn't be too long until he was awake. So um, by the time he woke up, they were sort of yeah half an hour apart still, and I had them pretty much for the whole day. Um, but again, they were irregular and anywhere from half an hour to an hour apart and just sort of really random, and then, um, similar things, I went for a walk again that afternoon on the Saturday, um, and contractions sort of started coming again in the evening after Jai had gone to bed, um, I think I got like an hour or two of sleep early in the night, and then exactly the same thing happened, um, I woke with like painful contractions that I couldn't sleep through, needed to get up and, um really consciously move through them and use my breathing and use the tense machine so I had that on like right from the start of the night. Um and I think I lasted until about three, maybe four, on my own and then I woke Joe up and just said, like these are getting really intense and I just need you to um be with me now. So Joe got up and came into the lounge and he was like, man, these are intense, like, should we be going to the hospital, um, and I sort of said no, like, I I think I'm still in early labour, um, just because they were still, like, relatively far apart, or irregular, like, sometimes I'd have them two minutes apart, and then after a couple, they'd go back to, like, nine or ten minutes, and yeah, I just knew that it was probably more like early labour, but just really, um, uncomfortable (laughs) early labour, And uh, this is the second night that I hadn't had any sleep pretty much. So I was like getting really tired by this point and I just needed Joe to sort of breathe with me and give me some like words of affirmation and just, um, massage and yeah, just really be there. So he was there from three or four in the morning, Jai woke up at about six, um, and that was difficult because obviously he's young, he's like, like... Not even two yet and doesn't really understand why mummy's like moaning and groaning and um, walking around and stopping and breathing all the time. So he wanted to be picked up and it was just a little bit of a mess that morning. So um, we had planned to take Jai over to my parents' house. I can't actually remember if he went to my parents' my mum's or Joe's parents' place for the Sunday, maybe he went to Joe's parents, I don't know, but wherever he went, one of his grandparents' house for the day, and then around 6 o'clock, I think, or 7 o'clock, I called my midwife, the backup midwife, because my midwife um, was on leave by this stage, so this was the Sunday morning, I called her and said, like, I just can't manage these contractions on my own anymore, no, they're not three minutes apart, lasting four a minute, um, And I know that I'm probably calling you too early, but I've had two nights of no sleep. I'm just exhausted and mentally I need something else now. Like the breathing techniques would be really helpful, but I just felt like I needed something more. So I was looking for the gas as an option um, and really just wanted to be like in hospital and know that my baby's coming soon. I think mentally I was becoming like quite exhausted by this point. So I went for a walk um, on the Sunday morning, just to like, you know, get my thoughts together, and then we went, um, into the hospital, and I think, like, the car ride didn't, it was maybe like 15, 20 minutes, but every time I had a contraction was so uncomfortable, like, just being in the car is not the place you want to be when you're having those strong contractions, so, um, I was really pleased when that was over. Got into the maternity ward, um, did a COVID screening, like had to fill in, the, fill in this form um, and then wait for my midwife to come and get us. And then she took us to our room. Um, we had just like a single room and there was the gas in there. And as soon as I saw that gas pump, I was like, oh my God, like I'm about to have some relief like I just I felt relieved knowing that I was going to have something else other than my TENS machine because probably by this point like I just yeah I needed something more um so my midwife got me on the monitor just to check how things were going um I had the gas which just gave me like a world of relief and um she checked me and I was only two centimeters but I knew to expect that I think like I didn't think I was going to be much further along than that but I knew my body was doing what it needed to be doing and I knew that these contractions were getting me somewhere and I felt like now that I had this extra relief of the gas um I could just relax a little bit more um So my midwife sort of just said, I'll come back in about four hours, um, and check how you're going, you're doing really well, just keep doing your thing. Um, we dimmed the lights, so the room was really dark, and shut the curtains, and I had my music on, um, and actually, I think I sent Joe to go and, like, make sure that Jai was all sorted, and, um, he went over to my mum's and put him down for his lunchtime nap, and um, I was just there like on my own happily for a couple of hours, which was quite nice, like just being able to do my own thing and really be in my zone um had a really great hospital midwife at that stage who pretty much just left me to it um just came and checked on me every now and then, and I was able to move around with the monitor just around my tummy and unclip it when I needed to go to the bathroom or anything like that. So that was great. And then about two or three hours later, they had a shift change in hospital midwives. And um, I ended up with a midwife who has heaps of experience, which is amazing, but also pretty much just came in and said, "Um, you're not having the gas anymore because you're not supposed to have the gas if there's not a midwife here to monitor you on it. And I can't stay here with you the whole time and you need to get on the bed so that I can monitor you properly um, because you've had a cesarean before. And I said, okay, um, first of all, I need the gas (laughs) and my midwife is okay with me having it and I don't want to be attached to the bed for the rest of the day. So I don't want to do that. Um, But thank you for your suggestion. And she just said, you're under my care, not your midwife. You're in hospital. I'm your midwife now, we definitely disagreed, and, um, I remember as soon as she left the room, picking the gas thing back up off the wall, and texting my midwife, um, pretty much just saying, like, help, this is once, this is the interaction that I've just had with my new hospital midwife, can you please help me? Um, and she was on her way back anyway, so she was like, yep, just leave it with me, um, keep doing what you're doing so she sorted that out for me ended up talking to like the charge midwife or whoever was looking after the team that day and they um all eventually agreed that I could have the gas um and that I didn't need to be sitting on the bed to be monitored and that everything that had been monitored so far was totally normal I didn't have any pain um that was outside of my contractions and everything was progressing Fine, so I didn't need to be stuck to the bed, so I was really pleased with that. And the midwife that I had, like she came around, I think. Um, you know, like I get it that each midwife has their own way of doing things and um yeah, I I respect that. I think it was just not something that was gonna work for me, so we needed to find another way to do things, and I think that's where it's really important to have not only a voice for yourself but also a midwife who's going to advocate for you, so a lead midwife, um, so I was really grateful to mine for doing that, but absolutely felt like I needed to advocate for myself too when she wasn't there, and that can be quite like a confrontational thing to do and not comfortable for everybody, but yeah, I definitely felt like I had to do that, and she came around like, yeah, she was really great by the time, um, her shift was sort of over or whatever, you know, she was great, um, So my midwife came back, checked me again, I think she said I was like five centimetres by this stage, um, four or five centimetres at a stretch, and I'd made some like good progression, she did another stretch and sweep then, just to sort of keep things moving along, which was far, um, more comfortable (laughs) with the gas, which was good, um, then we had, Joe came back, um, had like one bite of a burger from Burger King that had bought me for lunch and then they came in and said that I needed to be nil by mouth just in case um of a cesarean which I really like don't like but was fine with like I just was like whatever I wasn't even super hungry and I had been snacking all morning so I was okay with that um and then we had the Lead like consultant obstetrician guy for that day and his team come round and see us and they just explained um, what was going on throughout the day and what the plan would be for me and they told me the risks of a VBAC and the risks of birthing a big baby and um, I already knew all of that so I just was like, yep, that's all fine and I think if you didn't know All of that, it could be like quite confronting or scary, so I think that's where like your mental preparation and education comes in. So I was really pleased that, like, that was all stuff that I already knew. He wasn't telling me anything that I didn't know, and I felt confident and comfortable in the decisions that I had made so far. Um, and he was fine for me to just keep going how I was going, so that was all good. Um, then we had, like, another four or so hours just on our own doing our thing, and my contractions were becoming really intense by this, like, late stage in the day or early evening, and I didn't feel like the gas was doing a whole lot for me anymore, um, so we had a really lovely, um, obstetrician consultant come around again with Cara, my midwife, later on, um... And pretty much the plan was that um, I had progressed really well, Car was going to break my waters, and then um, I could have an epidural after that if I wanted, and it was funny, I had um, the midwife here yesterday, and by that point when I was deciding if I wanted to have an epidural or not, it was like a want versus need kind of thing. Yes, I wanted it, but I actually needed it by that point, like mentally I was just exhausted, I'd had no rest, these contractions were so intense, um, and I just needed some kind of relief, so, yeah, that was the plan, to break my waters, and then have an epidural after that, so, I think I was about seven, yeah, maybe seven centimetres by then, so, she broke my waters, and there was initially meconium, um, in them, so she said, um, that I would have to be just like, you know, Monitored baby would need to be monitored because of that, which was fine because we're already doing the monitoring. Um, and then I had an epidural after that, so I remember the anaesthetist guy come in and I was like, "Oh my gosh, oh, I could kiss you! I'm so happy to see you." Um, and he did the epidural, and I just had like instant relief. Like, I could still feel pressure. Um, They explained to me that it's a patient-controlled epidural. So it's, like, a low dose that you can top up when you feel like you need it. Um, Which means that you can still move, like, you still have sensation and can still move your lower half. um, Which is quite different to the epidural that I had with Jai, where, like, I couldn't move the bottom of my body at all. Um, And definitely still felt, like, pressure and contraction sensations but not pain which was really nice um so after that I pretty much fell straight asleep like instantly um had a nap like I don't know how long I slept for maybe a couple of hours but I was just yeah it was so nice to have that relief and they moved me to the delivery suite and we contacted the birth photographer and he'd come in so um this was probably by the st- by the time the birth photographer arrived cat I think it was maybe eight or nine o'clock in the evening um, so again had been the whole day of really intense <laughs> laboring contractions but also like managed to get into established labor sort of early afternoon um, and things were progressing really nicely so there was never any concerns about me or the baby and how things were progressing it was just um i needed those things when i needed them so i needed the gas earlier in the day and then i needed the epidural later in the day um and so in the delivery suite we had uh, my midwife student midwife um i think there was like a nurse or a hospital midwife in there as well and things were going fine; they just sort of left me to it, and then um checked me again and said, "Okay, you're about nine or nine and a half centimeters, so we'll leave you for another hour. Check you again, and then see how things are going um So I think about an hour later, my midwife checked me, and I was ten centimeters, and she said, "We'll just leave it for half an hour forty five minutes more, and just let your body do its thing, which we did and then we did a few practice pushes um and that was like a, yeah, it's a funny, it's a weird sort of feeling, like, the pushing stage, um, or the practice pushing anyway, so she guided me, I could feel her, like, pushing, um, or like, yeah, I could feel her fingers where she was telling me to, um, push to, she's like, push into your bum, so she's, like, touching me and I could feel where she was telling me to do that so it really was just like taking a gigantic poo (laughs) um and she told me where to push to and like directed me and I did that a couple of times and she was like yep those are great um and then I think she left me for about half an hour longer and I definitely felt that transition phase then so um my body started like involuntarily shaking and I was getting like really panicky and I was like having like really having to focus on my breathing and they put the blankets like warm blankets over me and Joe was just like rubbing my chest and I sort of like have this rhythm of rocking my head back and forth (laughs) um and Joe had to like really count me through my breathing and um that was or would have been really scary had I not known that that was transition, um, like I definitely still felt at times a bit, like, anxious, and I was panicky, um, going through it, but I knew what it was, so it felt less scary, I guess, um, and that lasted probably 20 minutes or so, I think, like I said, I want to go home, or I want to have a c-section, I just wanted the baby out, um, and everyone was really encouraging and nice and sort of knew what was happening. And then after that, my midwife came back and was like, yep, you're ready to push. And I could feel, like I really could feel that pressure of him moving down. Um, like I knew things had changed by then. I could feel the pressure of my body, like stretching um, as he was moving down. And then we started pushing. We tried um, a few different positions. So at one stage I was on my side um, with my left leg up like, on the stirrup thing, and then I would hold my leg and squeeze it and um, push at the same time, so that position was fine, but I found it really uncomfortable on my right hip, like, I think it was, like, probably just too much pressure, so we did that for a while, and then we moved positions again um, and tried pushing on my back, that was fine, but still wasn't really getting anywhere. Like, he was moving, but not not heaps. Um, And then we had, um, really funny, my midwife had someone else who was giving birth, um, or in labour at the same time as me, who'd come back to the hospital at the stage, like, needing to push. So she was in labour, like, ready to have her baby too. (laughs) We were talking about um, it being a race as to who was going to have their baby first. But Kara had to obviously be in one place um, so she went into the room with the lady who would come back and um, left me with the student midwife which I was totally fine with and um, a hospital midwife came in to help as well but I think it was just me and the student midwife um, for quite a while so we were pushing in all different positions and she was super encouraging like she did a really really good job um, but I had been pushing for a long time by the end of it, um, and I was exhausted, and it was pain, like I was in pain, it was so much pressure that I could feel, like as my body was stretching, and I just felt like my whole bum was going to fall out (laughs) every single time that I was pushing, um, and he was just like quite stuck I think, so by the time the hospital midwife came in, she asked the student midwife like what is going on here, because the baby's heartbeat was starting to get like quite high and distressed, um, with contractions and with me pushing, so we needed to get a move on, and it had been about an hour, maybe a little bit longer of me pushing by then, um, so the hospital move was like, okay, get up on your knees, so f- I flipped over, and when I say flipped over, it was a very slow <laughs> flip, um, I got up onto my knees and put my right leg up, like, on, so I was on my, um, foot, like, sort of knee, left leg, foot right leg leaning over the back of the bed and that was a really good position so I felt like I had like could work with gravity with that one um, but yeah there were definitely stages where I wanted to give up and I said like I just need a c-section this is too much I've been pushing for so long I just can't do it anymore and I really was so exhausted and I said to Joe I only told him this like I don't know a week later I was like sometimes I would have a contraction and I wouldn't tell anyone because I didn't I didn't want to push anymore um and we sort of laughed about that but cuz I could feel the contractions coming like it was still all the pressure that I could feel and some pain like by this point it was just like everything sort of wrapped up into one and the epidural was still working but not um not masking sort of everything definitely not so um anyway the hospital midwife came in and she was like okay what's going on here and she said, is his head, is it his head right there that you can feel or is it kaput? And, um, so kaput is like when the head of your, or like the scalp on your baby has, is swollen and, um, so that's what she was asking if it was kaput or if it was actually his head moving down and eventually the student midwife said, yeah, I think it's kaput. And the hospital midwife said, okay, we need some help, so they explained to me that they were going to ask the consultant to come in and have a look. So the consultant, the obstetrician came in and, um, she said, okay, I'm just going to check where you're up to what's going on here. Um, and so she checked me and she said, okay, um, I think that we are going to need to go for a C-section. Um, and I was just like, yep, whatever. (laughs) give me a C-section, just get him out of me. Um, But she said, I just want to see how you're, like when you're pushing what's happening. So next contraction, tell me, and I'll sort of check how things are going and then we'll make a decision. But we need to get this baby out now. Um, And yeah, there was definitely like a sense of urgency at that stage from Ali's perspective. So um, next contraction came and she said, push as hard as you can. Like I just, I need to see... I need you to give it a really good go so I can see what's going on here. So I gave it my best two pushes and the contraction ended and I expected her to tell me that um, I was needing to go for a C-section and she said to me, no, perfect. You've, you've got an amazing push. This baby's going to be out in two contractions. <laughs> and I think I said to her like, fuck off. I don't believe you. Um, I just like was had been pushing for over an hour and I didn't believe that two contractions later my baby was going to be here. <laughs> Um, and I think she explained that she'd need probably or maybe need to do um an episiotomy or a cut to help him along, and I would just would have said yes, like just get him out um and so, in the next contraction, I pushed she gave me an episiotomy, and I was pushing so hard. <laughs> His head started to come out, and then I just remember everyone yelling, stop, 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 stop pushing, stop pushing, like, slowly now. And so I really had to, like, concentrate and switch from pushing really hard to just giving, like, short, little, more gentle pushes. Um, And that was obviously because she'd given me the episiotomy. They didn't want me to tear anywhere else. Um, So his head came out, and then the head was out, I remember Joe saying, oh my god, his head's out, his head's out, and um, the contraction ended, and we waited for the next one, and then gave a little push again, and his shoulders came out, and then next push, his body was out, and he was here, and it was just the most, like, intense, crazy feeling of actually him being born, like, I just, I could not believe that I had been pushing for that long, I didn't think I was going to be able to push him out by the end of it. And then this lady came in <laughs> took contractions later. He actually was there. Like, it was amazing. Um, and he needed quite a bit of stimulation when he was born. So he was quite stunned. Um, and so they really had to, like, quite strongly rub him down and, like, get him moving. And then eventually, I think it was, like, a good probably minute until he took a breath and started crying. Yeah. Um, and they had the peds doctor in the room, and I kept asking, is he okay, is he okay, and like, he was on my chest, and they were rubbing him, rubbing him, and he wasn't crying yet, and I kept asking if he was okay, and they were saying, everything's fine, like, and I was thinking to myself, I know why that man's here, (laughs) like, you guys can't bullshit me, like, what's going on, and then, anyway, eventually, he started crying, and the peds doctor left, and they were all happy, and that was fine, so, um, Yeah, he was up on my chest, and, like, that was just... It was the most, like, out-the-gate, incredible, euphoric, like, feeling that you could ever, ever explain, um... And I just could not believe that I had birthed my baby vaginally because I just, by the end of it, thought that there was no way that that was going to happen. And I'd just gone through all of that for basically three days just to have a C-section anyway. Like, I just, yeah, I don't know. I um, couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. And Joe and I were just (laughs) like, Oh my god! Oh, I just remember like laughing with each other. Like that was so intense and out the gate, and we just couldn't believe that our baby was there and he'd been born. And it was just, yeah, it was amazing. And Joe was just the bir- the best birth partner ever. Pretty sure he was pushing just as hard as I was. I'm surprised he didn't pull his pants um, throughout that hour and a bit. Like, the cat, the birth photographer, has got some really funny photos of him, like, actually really pushing when I was pushing. Um, but he was just, yeah, he was right there with me, and he was so positive and encouraging. And he was, like, he really was, like, my coach throughout that um, period. And I remember saying to him, like, I'm pushing as hard as I can. And he was like, no, you're not. You can push harder. And, oh, yeah he was awesome um and I just yeah, I still can't quite believe that, like he came out of me out of my vagina <laughs> to be honest, it's just like yeah the most intense and crazy um crazy experience that I think I'll ever 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 have um yeah, so he was placed on my chest, um he was started crying and we were doing skin to skin, and he was just there for ages um and then the consultant was explaining to me that i has, I was losing quite a lot of blood, so they needed to get the placenta out straight away, um, and obviously Joe's there, and, like, watching all of this, and he's, like, graphic when he explains, he does not need to do a dad story, because you guys would be like, oh my gosh, (laughs) like, this guy is, like, the way he explains things, but anyway, so he was watching all of this, and had, took great pleasure in explaining to me after, um, But I had the injection for the placenta, and they pretty much just, like, pulled it out. Um, like, it needed to come out straight away, and it came out, like, fully formed, I guess. So, um, that was good, and then they needed to, um, stitch my episiotomy, so they gave me a few different local injections. I think they gave me the local injections before she did the cut as well, um... And I remember feeling like a few pricks, but it wasn't super painful. Didn't feel the episiotomy. And then when she was stitching me up, that was the part I was the most nervous about. And it was like I could feel the local injections. It was like stingy, like a bee sting. Um, And then I felt like some sort of pulling or like tugging sort of sensation when she was doing the stitches. But it wasn't super, super painful. I remember saying to her like, fuck, a couple of times. And she was like, yeah, I know, like, you can hate me now, but you'll thank me later when it looks all, like, when you're all tidy and clean and everything looks good. So, um, yeah, it was uncomfortable, but I don't remember it being, like, so, so, so painful. And then, yeah, I had quite a lot of bleeding, so they just continued to check and monitor that, um, she had to check that I didn't have any internal tears, and the way that she does that is literally stick her fingers, um, in your bum and vagina and check that there's no tearing, (laughs) which was uncomfortable, I remember that being uncomfortable, um, and then I remember a few, like, midwives pushing down on my tummy to see, um, I guess to check like how much blood was coming out when they did that. And I think I lost 750 mils at that stage um, of blood. And then I think in total, because I had some bleeding again about half an hour to an hour after this. um, I think in total it was close like between 1 and 1.5 litres of blood. So quite a significant um, blood loss and... Yeah, so everything just sort of was like, here's your baby from there. Um, he latched on when we were in the room, um, and we called lots of our different family on FaceTime and showed them their new little addition, and um, yeah, we just enjoyed that time. It was so different. It was such a different experience. Um just being in that room, and having him there, and of course I needed the stitches, but like, it was nothing major, and I didn't have to go to recovery, and from there they just wheeled me to my room, Joe went home, um, by the stage it was like 3am, um, Joe was staying at my mum's, so Joe went there, just to be with him in the morning, and then came back sort of first thing, which was really nice, the one thing that I was like, disappointed about, I guess, um, In my whole birth experience, like, I feel so positive about the whole thing. Like, the episiotomy was something I was really nervous about having to have if I needed it before I went into labour. But I knew and I was well educated about what it was and why you have it and all of that sort of stuff if you need it. Um, So I felt really well informed and able to make those choices throughout my labour. And now that I've had it, like, I just, yeah, I feel totally positive about my whole birth experience. But the one thing I would change is that... I had the epidural and I had a catheter in and they didn't take the catheter out that night because I still couldn't like trust myself to walk on my own from the epidural. But no one sort of like gave me a sponge bath or like, like sort of what cleaned me down properly afterwards. And by this time it was like 3am. And it had been a long day and night sort of for everyone. But I wish that someone had just like, properly wiped me down because I felt so dirty and uncomfortable until Joe came back in the morning and then the next, um, hospital midwives were there and he helped me or they helped me get into the shower and then Joe literally cleaned me off. Like I needed to be like properly scrubbed to get all of like the crap or like literally shit (laughs) and blood all off my back And legs and, like, feet and stuff. So I wish that they had taken the time to, like, properly clean me up. That's the one thing that I would change. Um, because it would have made me feel, like, a lot just, like, cleaner and nicer after my birth. Um, so if you're a midwife listening to this, please clean (laughs) your, uh, please clean your birthing mothers after their birth. Because it makes them feel human again, um yeah but anyway so after my shower I felt really good. Um, I was up and walking I was really nervous about that first wee but I think because the stitches was the only like place that I well I didn't tear she cut me but the place that she'd stitch was so tight it didn't actually feel painful. To wee at that point. I think everything was so swollen as well. <laughs> um but I didn't have too much pain weighing. I'd drunk in like heaps of Ural sachets, so that maybe made a difference, I'm not sure. And it was just me and Ali, um, which was pretty crazy. Like he was just there and I was holding him and I didn't sleep like a wink obviously. <laughs> um but I put him in his I remember putting him in his bassinet for like an hour. And he was sleeping, but I was just staring at him. He was such a silent breather. I was like, are you alive? Like, I felt like I had to keep keep checking on him. Was he breathing? And of course he was. Um, And then, yeah. So Joe came back in the morning, had a shower, um, and I had to stay in hospital for 24 hours from when he was born because of the meconium in his waters. So they just check his obs, um, make sure that he's all fine and that was all good, I was happy, you know, fine to stay there for 24 hours, um, but it's just funny, like, these are all little hospital experiences, and I know that people have, um, all really different experiences, but I had, um, a midwife and her student midwife, or student nurse, maybe, maybe they were nurses, I'm not sure, but anyway, whatever they were, um, come in and explain to me that I needed to wee x amount um before I was allowed to go home and so anyway I was weeing and that was fine and they just said to me to keep it make sure it was over 650 mils or however much it was and then once I'd done that I could tip it out and they were happy and fine for me to do that and then um I think I told them before they left that I'd done it and they were all happy with that and that was fine and then they had a shift change again and then the next person that was on said that she checked my notes and there was nothing in there about me having done the required Wii so I needed to do it again and I was like okay and I was just I those little things are just annoying because I said to her you know I've talked with the previous team and they told me just to like watch it myself make sure it was over the amount and then tip it out and that was all fine and they were happy with that, and she was like, "Well, it's not in your notes." And I get it, it wasn't in my notes, so she didn't know. But um, it's just annoying those little things to have to do again because then I felt more pressure to wee that much by the time I wanted to go home, um, and I did like I drank more than enough, and um, it was more the discomfort that I was annoyed about that I had to drink heaps and heaps and heaps, and then keep going to the bathroom. So yeah, we stayed there for that night. So we, I had him at. 1am and then we were there for that day and night and then went home the next day Um and everything was f- totally fine with Ali, he literally like fed or like sucked on my boobs 24-7 like he pretty much didn't get off me um, that whole time I was in hospital and then we brought him home and he pretty much didn't get off my boobs for like 3 or 4 days, <laughs> I remember those nights, those first few nights at home, gosh, I was so exhausted, like, I was just crying, thinking, like, oh my gosh, I just am so tired, I've had no sleep now for, like, five, six days, and is this baby ever gonna not suck on my boob, like, (laughs) I just, oh, I was so, yeah, I was just so tired, and, um, yeah, those first few nights and days were rough, for sure, um, but introducing Jai to Ali was really cute. We um just had Ali lying on the like sheepskin in the lounge and Joe came uh Jai came home and he knew that the baby had been born like we talked about it so much in my pregnancy and he was like "Ali, Ali, Ali," and he came straight over and he like basically lay on top of him and gave him this huge like sloppy lick kiss (laughs) and Jai had like a runny nose and I was just like oh my god this is a recipe for disaster but I felt like I couldn't stop him from like touching him because he was desperate too and we talked about it for so long and Yeah, anyway, turns out that Ali was totally fine. Um, But Jai was so excited, and then um, we've just had to slowly encourage him to learn to be gentle (laughs) with him, um, which he's definitely still learning two weeks in. Um, But yeah, he was so lovely with him, and it was such a nice, um, I guess, relief for me, because I was... You just never know how they're going to be with them. So yeah, he was really awesome. It was so cute. And um, yeah, so that first week, I think... In terms of, like, my recovery, obviously I was, like, tender and sore. The stitches um, were sore um, and it was, like, quite painful to sit and even just walking, like, was quite sore. But it did only take a couple of days for that real tenderness to go. And I was, like, I think I took painkillers, like, Panadol and Ibuprofen for about a week and then didn't need to take them anymore. So that was really good. Um definitely had bad hemorrhoids um after all that pushing, so I was really, 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 really scared to have a bowel movement after birth <laughs> because I knew that I had hemorrhoids um and that first one was just, like pretty horrific, like yeah, pretty painful and uncomfortable, I was eating or whatever, taking the t- those flow tablets that are supposed to help um and maybe they did maybe they didn't I don't know but I had my midwife prescribe me stuff for the hemorrhoids before I even thought that I had them like I knew I was uncomfortable down there and it was likely so I just asked her to prescribe me so she gave me the cream and the suppositories and I was so so thankful to have that when I actually did need to pass a bowel movement because after that I definitely needed them so um yeah I had I was using a cream and suppositories and after a few days um I didn't really have any issues with the hemorrhoids anymore so I was thankful for that. Um my milk or my yeah, my I guess Ali was feeding off me all the time, um, trying to bring my milk in and I definitely noticed like when it changed from colostrum to milk and you can see the colour change my boobs felt fuller. Um but after a week, Ali had lost like 10% of his body weight, um, and my milk still didn't really feel like it was like fully in, I don't feel like it was, I still don't know if it's <laughs> um, fully established, but, um, so I, I I have been topping him up with mainly expressed breast milk, And occasionally formula if I don't have enough expressed milk just to make sure that he's gaining weight. And then he was checked yesterday and he's back up past his birth weight and he's putting on heaps of weight. So um, obviously what we're doing is working and that's awesome. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I find the milk supply thing really just confusing because I've never felt like engorged. That really engorged feeling that you sort of describe when your milk's in. Um, I've definitely felt like my boobs are fuller and I've got milk there. Like I know I've got a lot of milk there. I just don't know if it's like enough to completely sustain Ali. Um, and he's taking the top ups that I'm offering him, which means that he must either want or need it. So I'm happy to keep doing that for now and just like assess as things go. Um, but every time I'm pumping, I'm getting more and I'm doing it after a feed, so I'm not doing it every time, like, I'm not putting too much pressure on myself to try and bump every feed or anything like that, um, and he is, yeah, he's feeding off both boobs, and then I'm expressing, like, one or two or three feeds a day, um, after he's fed off both boobs, and I'm getting more each time, so that's got to be, like, a good sign, I guess, um, But I found, I just find breastfeeding, I don't know, I think I talked about this on my Instagram, like I just find it, I don't find this real bond and like connection and this real beautiful (laughs) experience with breastfeeding and maybe I will, like I know I'm still early in our journey but I just don't, maybe it's because I didn't breastfeed Jai, like he was mixed fed from birth in Skaboo, so maybe it's because I didn't have that same Thing with him that I don't feel like the connection piece with it this time around, I don't know um, absolutely I want to breastfeed and I want to continue breastfeeding him and I will for as long as I can um, but I just, yeah I think it's okay to acknowledge that I don't find it this like really incredibly beautiful connecting experience, like if anything it's painful like my nipples are sore, they're still sore um, and my down is like quite uncomfortable, like tingly, stinging kind of sometimes sensation. And I hate having to wear like breast pads all the time and a bra all the time and like all those little things. I just think, um, yeah, it's not like a super easy journey. And I've got like quite, well, my left nipple's flatter than my right. So um, all of those types of like latching things, and I need to see a lactation consultant um, just to make sure that we're doing everything right, um, and there's nothing I could be doing to make it more comfortable, but, yeah, I just think, like, breastfeeding has definitely not been easy for me, um, either time, and that's okay, um, I'm a full 100% advocate for Fed is Best, and, um, I'm totally fine with giving Ali top-ups of expressed breast milk or formula, like, neither, um, Neither bother me at all, just as long as he's getting what he needs, so um yeah, that's how I'm sort of feeling about our feeding journey two weeks in, and absolutely will try my best to continue to breastfeed him for as long as I possibly can or want to um and just see how we go. I think, in terms of my mental health, um I'm just not like I'm not someone who functions well on a real lack of sleep which is obviously what you are in when you have a newborn, um, so I, I really have just been, like, sleeping when Ali's asleep, like, making a real conscious effort to rest, my postnatal period this time around has been so different because we're living in our own house and, um obviously it was really nice to have the help around like first baby um, and all that sort of stuff. But I also didn't feel like I could just literally sit on the couch and feed my baby and watch TV for the whole day if I wanted to, or sleep every time that he's sleeping during the day or those types of things because you've got pressure of other people around. Whereas now I'm like, I literally am just doing exactly what feels right to me. Um, and so for these first two weeks, I pretty much have stayed at home and, um, And just, it's been me and Ali and, um, I've really taken the time to just, yeah, rest and recover and give myself the opportunity to take that time and not feel guilty about it, which has been really nice. Um, and I feel like mentally I'm in a good place because of that. Like I definitely had those baby blues for a good couple of days and, um, I'm sensitive, like. I'll cry when I hear Joe tell Jai off <laughs> because I think that he's being mean, even though it's like, um, he's not being mean and Jai's done something that he shouldn't have done. And Joe's trying to explain it to him. I think like his tone of voice could have been better and I'll cry about it. <laughs> or, um, yeah, those types of examples. But I think that's normal. And, um, overall I'm feeling really positive and happy. um, which is a really nice place to be. I think in terms of my recovery, I have been like trying to look at my stitches (laughs) because I'm curious what the heck does it look like down there now? Um, and I'm actually so pleasantly surprised. Like it's just a tiny, it looks like a tiny little cut. That's just going to be like a little scar, um, which is so nice. And I don't feel any discomfort in any other places because I didn't have any other tearing, which is really good. Um, I'll definitely be seeing a pelvic floor physio at six weeks to check everything down there. Um, But yeah, feeling really positive about like how my recovery has gone. And it's just been, it's so different to a C-section recovery where it's like such a major surgery. um, Which has been a good thing for me to experience. Like, of course, I've still been in some serious pain um, postpartum, but... It's been such a different experience this time around. Like I'm up and walking and mobile and feeling fine a week later kind of thing. Um, Which has been great. But I do, the sort of final part of this episode I guess. I do just want to acknowledge the fact that um, the language that we use around birth can be really triggering. And the amount of people I've had say to me... Oh, you must be so pleased that you had a natural birth this time. Like family, friends, random strangers on social media who have said that. That for me is really triggering the natural birth part one. But then also the um, assumption that I'm so pleased that I was able to birth vaginally and I didn't have to have a C-section feels to me like we're saying, oh, you, you hated your birth or you didn't like your birth with Jai. And so that's been something I've found, like, yeah, I guess maybe it's just my hormones, but I do feel like it's been really triggering for me to have people say that um, and just, like, make those assumptions this time around. So um, definitely just, like, wanting to acknowledge that, yes, I am absolutely happy that I had a VBAC um, and I was able to experience a vaginal birth and my recovery has been easier and all of those types of things. But I I don't feel like I had a negative experience or any ill feelings towards my birth experience with Jai. Um, and there were also things that were easier about having a C-section in comparison. So it's not like, um, yeah, I just think the language that we use and the assumptions that we make can be really triggering um, for people. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And then the second part of that is also around the breastfeeding. So um, obviously my breastfeeding journey so far has been different to Jai's and, um, I'm, I am technically having an easier (laughs) breastfeeding journey this time around, um, and everyone, or I've had a lot of comments, um, about, oh, you must be so happy that you're breastfeeding this time and how nice is it to be breastfeeding this time and, oh, it's amazing that you're breastfeeding this, like, I don't know, I just, all of those types of comments just make me feel like, um, others reflect back on my journey with Jai and think oh that could have been different or better or whatever and I just find that quite triggering so I just wish that people would keep their opinions on that stuff to themselves (laughs) um and I know they don't have like particularly family and friends I know there's no ill intention there um but yeah that's just how I feel about it I guess but in terms of um my whole birth experience, like, yeah, I just feel, I feel really positive about how things went, yes, I needed some intervention to help me bring Ali into the world, absolutely still feel really positive about that, I felt well informed, like I was making my own choices, and, um, everything sort of happened as it was supposed to, Ali did end up turning from posterior during my labour, so that was good, um, and, yeah, so, I think, um, there'll be a lot of other stuff that I can talk about maybe in a postpartum episode, but that probably covers my birth experience as a whole. Um, The one question I had a lot of is what do I think um, made me successful in having a vaginal birth after a cesarean or a VBAC this time? Um, I honestly, hands down think it was my mental preparation and birth education, like, obviously I'm, um, I have the Your Birth Project course, so I have all of that knowledge under my belt, I redid the Your Birth Project course again, um, as an actual participant this time, like, I, I had all of the tools that I needed mentally to survive and get through and, um, do what I needed to do through those early stages of labour, to advocate for myself, to feel confident in the decisions that I was making, to know the different stages of labor that I was in, like all of those things made such a difference to me this time around, um, so I just fully wholeheartedly believe that it was my mindset and my preparation that made me successful in my VBAC this time, um, yeah, so I think... That's probably everything I should cover in the story. You're probably sick of hearing me talking. So if you've made it this far, thank you for continuing to listen. Um, if you've got any questions, then feel free to chuck them on Instagram. Um, message me, put them on the post, comment them on the post, or send me an email to kiwibirhtales at gmail.com. Otherwise, um, I look forward to bringing you another awesome episode next week.